Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Good morning. Love you all so much. I have a word from God today. I've had lots of opposition to it. But look at me. I'm up here delivering it. I wrote this on uh, Thursday or Friday. I wanted to read it to you. I came to transform you from darkness into light. I came to turn your mourning into joy. I came to change you from smallness into an anointed one. I came to demonstrate love to one heart so that one heart would demonstrate my love to the world. I came that you might have this kind of life. I came that you might be free. My freedom is free. The cost of it was bore by me. My freedom is of spirit, and my freedom is an invitation. My freedom is for you to be free and for you to set others free. I came to change your mind today. I came to change your heart, and I came to change your ways. Your old Adam ways are no match for the spirit of Yahweh, the living, breathing spirit of Yahweh that hovered over the nothingness is once again hovering over you today. He is a brooding spirit mother, full of nurture and comfort, but make no mistake, he is also fire and power. The spirit of Almighty God is in your midst, and he knows when to be fire, and he knows when to be comfort. He's shaping you. He's shaping your places of power and authority. He's shaping your character to withstand and uphold his power. He is shaping your heart to love in the midst of adversity, to love in the middle of opposition, to love in the middle of contention. This love transcends the brokenness of fatherlessness. This love is the wall breaker. I, um, I've had an interesting few days. I would say that I'm sort of making um, some puzzle pieces into just this message today. I think if I was to, I made a little slide, um, number one there, V. If I had to title this message, it would be Maintaining the Integrity of My Conscience. Um, it's, a, it's a little deep. You know, one of the things that um, the Holy Spirit prompted me years ago was to speak to the most mature in the room. And so if it kind of flies over your head, thank goodness we recorded it, right? So you can listen to it until you get it. When God began to transform my religious spirit into relationship, he began to offend what I thought was the stuff I knew. I would have called it wisdom. And he began to offend the things in me. See, when you get offended, I get it because I've been there. And 
part of the reason that it offends us is because we have maintained its rightness. And the moment I hold on to something that I that God is trying to shift in me and I'm holding on to it so tightly, then all hell breaks loose around it. It just does. That's a good thing. Because he's he's shifting and shaking something in me. I I woke up on Friday morning um with just this one word. This is just kind of how he speaks to me. He I just wake up usually and there's just either a word or a thought or something. And, and it was just this one word, integrity. And I thought I knew what it meant. In fact, I probably would have run with what I thought it meant if it hadn't been for Cece. And when she got up, she told me this dream and it just messed me up, messed up my whole trajectory. And, you know, that's part of walking in the prophetic and the supernatural is that it says that man plans his ways. I, I lean into something, even of the, of the spirit that I love. But I have to have the ability to readjust my position at any time to see the greater thing. And so I personally, um, on Friday, received the greatest revelation that's yet to date for me. I don't even know if I can articulate it to you all. I've had a lot of experience with revelation and I love, I love revelation. Have you ever had experience? It's, it's a relational experience. It's where, um, you're just skipping along happy. I'm pretty happy. You know, me and Scout, we woke up super happy this morning. We were dancing around the kitchen and then, you know, we had the parade come by of waving tired people, you know, where they don't talk and they just, But we're just, we're happy when we get up. We're just happy. She woke up and she wanted chicken first thing. And so it's just a happy day. And so in this process of of trying to discover what all he's saying in all these places and trying to put it together in my mind, I need it to all go together to make sense before I say it. You would think that would make sense, right? But... I can just tell you as I'm just standing here right now, I am not able to see around the corner of all the things that he's speaking, but I trust because I trust in the ability of the Holy Spirit greater than my ability to figure out before I speak it. And that takes a lot of trust. And and so, you know, I had on Wednesday night, I prayed for people because I'd had a dream on when on. Tuesday night, I think it was, forget the days, who knows, um, where I had met a man, and it was a man that I knew. I didn't say this on Wednesday, but there was a man that I knew, and his wife was the greatest worship leader I had ever met. And she was, if I said her name, some of y'all would know her. And we began to have this relationship with him. Well, he was not an introvert. And it's like that. And she was. And he used to criticize her pace. And it was in that moment when I met him that I realized that he was the one that was askewed. But there was this drive in him to make her famous. I could just feel it. I mean, he said it, but I mean, I could just feel it in him. 
Well, long story short, not that I that I even know the complete story. This is just this is just my story for what I want to talk about. Um, he had a horrific motorcycle wreck and broke almost every bone in his body, and he was in invalid for a while. And she fell off the face of the earth, if you will, and just like this is many many years ago. Just the last couple of years, she has begun to share her story of how abusive that he was. And they both graduated from a Christian college. Onward, Christian soldiers. Let's abuse our wives and make them feel good. And I, I remember having this snapshot picture of her the Holy Spirit gave me of that she was what I talked about Wednesday night. She was a Mary. And that spirit in him um, began to dismantle her Maryness, if you will. And when that happens, and it, it's happened to more people, you know, my, you would think I just would, I hung a shingle out that said all abused people come here, but I really didn't, but they just do. It would be a surprise at how many people have been in abusive relationships. And it's not just physical. You know, I think emotional is worse because it's hidden. Um, but when I was praying for him in the dream, I this this guy, I when I came to him, he was underneath this, um, he was hiding, bottom line. He was underneath the thing I can't describe. You know how it is in a dream, right? Anybody had weird dreams like that? You know, CC dreamed about Hitler last week, so we're still trying to figure that out. And when I reached my hand up underneath there, it was a big, long stretch for me. And I put my hand on him, and I reached in him, and I pulled out the root of bitterness. And he was instantly healed in the dream. And so, you know, Wednesday night I prayed for people. Well, what I knew in the dream was that he had tuberculosis. Now, I, I'm i not scientific. I don't know if y'all know that or not. CC is extremely scientific. But somehow, through that, my telling her the dream and what we prayed about Wednesday night, she has received this amazing download from the Father about just such injuries. You know, it's... It's no surprise Cece was abused in her marriage as well. And so that that principle of what God, she needs God to do to come in and redeem her back to what, what I call standing upright in my identity. You know, have you ever felt that you just had a ceiling on your identity? And where did that come from? It came from injury. Let's just be honest. That's where it came from. And so... I started putting all these little pieces together. Okay. And she started on Friday, I think it was, she began to write and she shared with me what she wrote already about this dream I had about tuber tuber tuberculosis. And so I told her, I said, well, it's interesting because I woke up today with the word integrity and I, and I had since looked up what it meant. I just need to give you all this background. Is this okay? Yeah. And so when I looked up the word integrity, it means this, innocence, simplicity, completeness. You know, if something has integrity, 
like not um, a person, but um, that chair, that chair has integrity. What does it have? It has the ability to hold your weight, right? It's, it's, it's stable. And when I said that to her about innocence and simplicity, I don't know, something just happened. And we began to have this conversation about conscience. And I, I kind of think I know, it was one of those things, I kind of think I know, I kind of think I know. And so I've been on this quest the last couple of days to just hear the heart of the Father. And shockingly, when I got up early this morning, I stumbled on to a interview or a little class that John Bevere did. How many love John? He can shoot it to you straight in a heartbeat, can he? He can offend you. He can offend your nose hairs. I mean, like he can everything. But he was talking to this guy named Rabbi Brian, and I pulled out this little five-minute snippet that I'm going to start with today. And Vinton's going to pull that for us, I think. It's a, it's a, it's a probably hour-long deal. So let's just get this little tiny snippet. I'll sit down so you can see. How does conscience come in in hearing from God? Well, I think because God created a spirit, soul, and body, we have three areas that we look at. The spirit actually has a voice, and the soul has a voice. Now, most of us know the voice of our soul. It's our emotions. Our emotions speak to us all the time. A thought comes in our mind. Mm -hmm. We feel a certain way, or as they say today, they feel some kind of way, you know, and sometimes we feel certain kinds of ways because of our thoughts. Thoughts develop emotions. Emotions lead to action by making a choice. Well, the spirit has the same kind of function. I like to call them organs. Mm -hmm. So I think the three organs of the spiritual man is your spirit, your heart, and your conscience. Wow. So your conscience is the voice of your spirit. God gives you a new heart and new spirit when you get saved. That's Ezekiel 36, 26. Right. But the conscience is a developed Greek thought that we see in the New Testament. We don't see it in the Old Testament. Right. So what we have to look at is what the meaning of conscience is. And I think the best way to think of conscience is the Latin base, the Latin base of the word conscience, con, like in Spanish, with, and science, which means knowledge. So it's the part of you that has the most knowledge or is with knowledge of what's going on inside of you. Wow. So no man knows the things of a, uh, of a man except the spirit of man, which is in him. Right. And you don't know the things of God except by the spirit of God, because deep calls to deep. So God's spirit in a born again believer is in our spirit. And the spirit uses our conscience to speak with us. In other words, our conscience has knowledge of what's going on inside of us. So if it's a good day, bad day, if you're feeling convicted or feeling confirmation from the Holy Spirit, the red light, the green light, mm -hmm. it's the voice of what's going on in your spirit. So the conscience then is the voice of our spirit. Yes. Yes. It speaks to us. Wow. So when the Holy Spirit brings things back to our remembrance, it's the Holy Spirit in that hour. He says, I'll give you the words to speak. I'm trusting on that now today. My wife texted me this morning and said, honey, don't worry. You're going to know exactly what to speak because the Holy Spirit's right. going to give you what to speak. I, I, she should have sent me that text Yeah, she should have. She should have. Yes. But, you know, I, I'm going to define conscience as, yeah. the, now, first of all, this is from an English dictionary. Yes. And they don't know the things of the Spirit like a spiritual man sometimes. Yes. But the di dictionary says, an inner feeling or voice which distinguishes between right and wrong Beautiful. and prompts one to choose the former and avoid the latter. Yeah. Okay. Now in the Greek, help me with this pronunciation. It's S 
Y. And how about if we just put it on the screen on the lower thirds? That's the word, okay? And the definition of this Greek word is the seat of one's inner nature. Yeah. I love that. Synevesis. So you have two words there. You have seen as, a, as the first part of the compound, which we have synonyms to be similar, to have the same. And then you have the root there is edon, which is one of the words to see. It means a knowledge through intuition that you see something, oh, wow. not experientially, but supernaturally your spirit eyes see. So intuition then would be a part of the voice of the conscience. It's one of the functions of the conscience. Oh my gosh, now, that's, let me tell that's you, really good. From a Jewish perspective, when you look at Hebrew, yep. Old Testament Hebrew versus New Testament Greek, Greeks tend to think of form. So God is an image. You create an idol. You create um, ears and eyes and a mouth to speak and nose to smell. God is a spirit. And those that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So when Jews think of God, they have an invisible God that they cannot see with their eyes, ear with their ears, their ears. So God describes himself anthropomorphically, meaning as a man, so we can relate. Hmm. So God says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the, the earth. And so the beauty of the eyes is they're able to see. Well, how do God's eyes see? Past, present, and future, he sees everything. He's omniscient. So how they describe omniscience, which omniscience, all science, all knowledge, conscience with knowledge, omniscience. Wow. Okay, wow. God has all knowledge. Yeah. And then when we're hooked up with God, we're with that knowledge. We're connected to that knowledge. Oh my gosh. So God's amazing. spirit and his spirit, we're able to get a download from God's spirit to our spirit. I will show you great many things that you don't know. You don't know. Because I have all knowledge. The things I want to teach you now, the Holy Spirit will teach you later. The comforter will come. And he'll show you these things. You know, things. What, what I believe is as you and I speak, even on this course, we speak in, in, in you in the synagogue, me in a conference, you in a conference. We're speaking, if people truly are walking with God, mm -hmm. things they already know. Yeah. They just haven't learned how to articulate them yet. Yes. yes. And God puts an anointing on us to be able to articulate what every true believer goes uh-huh. That's why I believe John says, you don't have need that any man teach you. Right. Well, God's not contradicting himself because he is the one that gave. Jesus gave the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Yes. So why would then this other apostle write, you don't need anybody to teach you? Because right. the Spirit communicates to us. And part of being able to voice what he's communicating to our spirit is the voice of our conscience. Yes. I like what Paul says about the mind of the Spirit. You know, the mind of the spirit gives us the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ is the Messiah, the anointed one. So to think like Jesus thought with anointed thoughts, you have to have your spiritual yarmulke on. That means you got to think like the way Jews thought of God. God is spirit. So the mind of the spirit, the Holy Spirit's job is to give us the mind of Christ. When we have the mind of Christ, it taps us into the mind of God. Wow. Because, you know, Jesus is called in John 1, 1, the Logos, sometimes in uh, Koine Greek, logos. Yes. But in modern Greek today, it'd just be the logos. Logos is the word that we get logic from, the logic of God. Mm -hmm. So when we're having a discourse, there's logic behind it. So we use the word logos to define that. The spoken word is just simply the utterance out of my mouth. Could it be good, could it be bad. The Holy Spirit gives us an utterance that comes directly from him. But the logic behind our talk is the logos. It's the discourse. Wow. It's the mental uh, thinking of God. So Jesus is the fullness of that. So when you tap into Jesus through the mind of Christ, you're actually tapping into the mind of God. And when God gave his mind or thought life to Adam, Adam was able to name everything based on function. So when Greeks think of form, Jews think of function. So eyes that see, what's the function of eyes? 
the function of ears, the function of a mouth. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of a mouth. It's translated into Greek in the Septuagint as the rhema of God, right. the spoken word of God, because before it was ever written down, it was spoken. So when you think about the conscience, God is constantly speaking from his spirit to our spirit, but it's kind of like the old radios. Remember how they would have that noisy frequency yep. that you couldn't, it's yep. static. Most people hear static. Everyone has a spirit, but everyone is not spiritually awakened to be in the right frequency to hear the wow. clarity of the voice of God. That's why we got to keep. That's fun at five in the morning right there. <laughs> That's good, right? Help, help anyone already? So part of the reason why I wanted to play that is because I wanted to just allow this unfolding as it happens for us to, to do something in you. I want that um, those ways that he defined conscience to have a new meaning for us today. I think every one of us would um, be able to say that when they're at an early age, we could feel when we did something that we didn't think was right for whatever reason. You know, I was raised super religious. Like my grandma was one of those that didn't cut her hair and she wore dresses, whatever that is. Um, so I was raised where basically everything was wrong. And so what, what transformed me though, was having this encounter with God about Joel two in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters will prophesy on and on and on. It, it revealed to me that, I mean, everything else was beginning to point that this was the last days, no matter what the last days uh, quantity is. You know, I don't know if you know this, but God, um, he's outside of time. And so he is doing something, if you will, on the earth out um, waiting for something to occur. Well, let me give you a good example. Um, Cece's going to talk a little bit about what she wrote. And one of the verses that came to us um, that I was sharing with her was in first Peter. I, I don't want to read the verse that she is going to read that has to do with the word she wrote. But as I was finishing up first Peter three, because I tend to read the entire chapter, I stumbled across this little passage. And so this is a good example of how this revelation um, came to me. So it's first Peter three, 18. Now, one thing I love about Brian and, you know, just Brian Simmons wrote the passion just so you'll, you'll know, it's not the only version of the Bible I read. I read it a lot here because I feel like it is, it's, he speaks in a language that I want to speak. I don't want to, they used to call it Christian ease. You know what Christian, does anybody know what Christian ease is? It's just the way we used to talk to make sure everybody knew I was a Christian. But it had no, it was not a relational component to it. And so one thing that Brian Simmons has done, and if you've spent, I've taken a lot of classes from him, listened to him a lot. He's actually had an encounter with God. And I know what that's like. I know what it's like to have an encounter and then begin to try to explain it to people. And it's different than what people came from. Yeah. 
I just know what that's like. I mean, I'm, you know, trying to build something on the apostolic and that looks different than a pastor-led church. And so everybody that comes here, though, normally comes from a pastor-led church, so they want me to be a pastor, and I'm just not. Sorry. But... (laughs) And so a pastor does something different than, than the apostolic does because the apostolic is working with a blueprint design and the pastor is working with the human heart. Yes. I don't know if you can see the difference in that. Yes. And that's a whole other thing I don't have time to talk about. That was just enough to wet your whistle. So anyway, I'm reading this from the Passion for that reason because he has something that no other version has, which is usually the case. Verse 18, Christ suffered and died for sins once and for all the innocent for the guilty, to bring you, say me, Me. near to God by his body being put to death and being raised to life by the Spirit. I'm telling you, this is another resurrection eyesight today that we're just going to reveal to you. He says, this is what I said on Wednesday. He went to the spiritual realm and he made a proclamation to the spirits in prison because of their disobedience long ago. Now, this is where it started to get dicey for me, and I was like, what the heck? I probably, I probably over the last three days, have read the next two verses a thousand times. I just kept reading them over and over and over until he revealed to me what it meant. He said, starting in verse 20, the next part, For during the time of Noah, God patiently waited while the ark was being prepared. So let's just stop there. Why? Just think about it. I, the the word that jumped out to me. What's the word jumps out? No, the word that jumped out to me was patiently, and I was thinking why. So I had to go and read how long it took Noah. My first inclination was, well, it must have taken him a long time. How many people know how long it took? Approximately him. It was somewhere around a hundred years. So um, there's not a specific time. Frame, but it said that no, it specifically in the Bible says he was 500 years old when this thing happened. And then it says, and he was, and he built the ark, and then he was 600 years. So, you know, it could have been anywhere in that marker. We don't know for sure. But I mean, how many knew that? I mean, I was thinking it was a couple years, you know, because I was thinking he went down to Home Depot and got his DeWalt saw, you know, and got some, right? Because that, see, that's how limited we are. If we, if I hadn't read that, I would have never looked into this. That's how revelation works. And so, but when I began to read it, the Holy Spirit said God didn't need patience because Noah was slow. And that one line made me look a little deeper because I thought, well, okay. So let's think about what was going on in the day. I don't know if I have time to read it. Let me, let me read you one. It's in Genesis 6. You can go read it, right? But real quick. He said that when people began, this is uh, Genesis 6, 1. When people began to populate the earth, they had many lovely daughters. Divine beings found them. I can preach on that. But anyway, and them very appealing. Divine beings found them very appealing. It wasn't man. Got it? Okay. So they took women they wanted as their wives. And Yahweh said, my spirit will not strive with humanity indefinitely for their mortal, their lifespan will be shortened to 100 years. How many know they lived a lot longer than that before? And so he goes on to tell these other things. And so 
Then it says in verse 9, Noah was a godly man full of integrity without fault in his generation, and he lived so close to God. And so basically he said to Noah right then, go build this ark. And so he gave him all of these, these things. He said, "I've uh, verse 13 says, I've decided that all living creatures must die for their violence has filled the earth. And so that was the moment he began to build the ark. And so what I felt like the Holy Spirit was showing me was that the pay, when God gives us an instruction to build, remember that movie, if they build it, he, they will come? What was that called? Field of Dreams. Love that movie. And so it's, that's, that is a great representation, representation of what I'm talking about today. When we build something according to God's standard, it begins to draw attention. Now, I remember the first day that Bro came up, do you remember, to the upper room, downtown Oklahoma City, brought his little hitar. He had his little old-timey one. What is that called? The Strat. And there were about maybe 10 of us or something. And he sat down and he began to play this thing that sounded like a whale. But it was it was magnificent. And there was... No one knew what we were doing that day. We didn't even know what we were doing that day. Right? So, you know, you you have to realize at that beginning marker that something was happening, something was being built right then. It began, we began a journey of producing prophetic worship. That was just the one hunk of wood. Literally, probably. That was just one piece. So when Noah began to build the ark, what began to happen? This had never been done before. The people of the earth saw it. What is God's heart? If you know God at all, what's his heart? God so loved the world that he had to bring people to what? Repentance. What is repentance? I feel so horrible about what I've done. I got to live in shame and guilt the rest of my life. What is repentance? I'm just right here going, oh, I think I can see so clearly. And he says, that ain't it. And we go, oh, yeah, I can see so clearly. (laughs) That's what repentance is. A 180 from where I was going. You know, so keeping in this example, that's what he did. He did a 180 from trying to build his own music career to building something we couldn't see. I just had the blueprint. He didn't have the blueprint. She didn't have the blueprint. Right? That's why you need somebody with a blueprint. And so what was God's heart when the ark, that's why it didn't just take him five days. Let's just look at it like this. For that 100 years, God's heart longed that everybody would repent. So now let's read the verse. For during the time of Noah, God patiently waited while the ark was being prepared. But only a few were brought to safety, a total of eight. This was a prophetic picture of the immersion that now saves you. Not a bathing of the physical body, but rather the response of a good conscience before God through the resurrection of Jesus. So he's telling us that was a prophetic picture 
that when I see something being built that's trying to give me a sign of what is on God's heart, my response is my conscience needs to respond to it because I've got resurrection eyes. Think about how God does this in all of our lives. You know, Cece's going to come and share this amazing nugget that she got, and I'll come up and wrap up. But if we keep this story in mind, why is it stuck over here in 1 Peter 3 at the end of nothing? Because it's a nugget about our response living with good conscience. And she's going to describe um, from the dream that I had a little bit more about it. Do you have your computer? Okay. Give her a little golf clap. (laughs) Sorry. I was faster than I thought. I was captivated. I was listening. I forgot that I was going to be speaking. I needed to switch gears. Right, right. Wow, this is such a cool, cool... um, revelation that God is pouring out. And honestly, I told Tisa, it almost sounded like the word of the year all over again or something, because it's like another word of the year that's we'll continue to uncover more and more about it. Um, as we go on, I just know it. It's just the beginning. But um, so Tisa laid a lot of good groundwork, but I have to lay a little bit more groundwork for my portion of this too. This all just happened in such a crazy, cool way. Um, so first, let me just say this. I'll, I'm going to go ahead and mention my dream. Okay, so the dream that I had um, Thursday night when I woke up Friday morning and then Tisa and I started talking and all this started unfolding, um, I had a dream that One Life was moving into a new building that was um, in a shopping center and it had been owned and run by a very successful gift shop. And it was, it had glass walls. Some of them were more opaque than completely transparent, but they were glass walls and it was right on the street, the street's edge. So you could see when you were going by everything in the windows, all the gifts that were um, on all the shelves in the windows. And um, <clears throat> the location of this particular shopping center, I happened in my dream, I knew where it was and how to describe it. And it was, it was on Western, Southwestern, okay. That, this, is, this is a metaphor, right? We're not moving to Southwestern. But um, it was at the place, the way I would describe it, it was that Noni's Painted Door used to be there and Western Door and Plywood was there. Those are my two landmarks. What do those both have in common? Door. What are we doing in 24? We're looking to the door in 24. And there's new, incredible new um, God opportunities through the door. And this is this is one of those, Okay. So in the dream, it was really cool that we moved, we were started moving in. We were very excited about it. And the gift shop owner um, said that the owner of the shopping center um, wanted whatever tenant lived in that type of unit to be committed to glass walls and glass windows. So that was a sign. Tisa heard that and started telling her, well, you need to make sure and tell the owner that that is the perfect design for churches. Any units that you have that you're looking to fill or lease for any, you know, any other ones, churches should be the ones in there. Like you're the perfect fit. And so that was symbolically that the church should be operating with transparency, transparent walls. That's the perfect match. Well, we were in the dream. We were really excited because we were moving in and the gifts had not fully been moved. They hadn't left yet. They hadn't been moved out of that 
facility yet. So the gifts were still on display in the window, right? And in fact, this gift shop owner was just moving to a, a different unit further behind hers. And a few of us were going to apply to have part-time jobs there because we were going to work in the gift shop. Now, it was interesting because um, in the dream, somebody tried to tell me that I was disqualified from working in the gift shop because of an autoimmune disease I had. Okay. So first of all, the first meaning of the dream is that one life is moving into a position through the door in 24 of having the gifts of the spirit on full display with transparency viewable from the road of life that people are traveling. So we are going to have beautiful gifts. Our spiritual gifts are on display with transparency for anybody on the road of life to see. And it, when we're very, very excited about it. So in the dream, this autoimmune thing, they were trying to say that I was disqualified. Now, I think in hindsight, I think it has a couple of different meanings. But I tried to tell them, no, it doesn't. That doesn't have anything to do with this. You know, I can still work in the gift shop. I'm not disqualified by the technicality of having this issue over here in my life. But it was interesting, okay, that that I have to rush through this a little bit. That We could probably spend a lot more time on that. But it was interesting because of all these other nuggets that Tisa already mentioned, because she'd already mentioned the tuberculosis thing on Wednesday. And that had stuck out to me because that has a meaning to me um, based on just my history and my former career in science and stuff. And so, um, and now I'm having an auto, a disease, uh, in the dream with autoimmune diseases um, threatening to disqualify us from working with the gifts. So let's, let me take you on a little journey Okay, on an analogy, and I have to explain, I'm going to explain the real life scenario first. Don't worry, like I said, like she said, don't worry if you don't get it right away. It's, it is kind of complicated, um, but just remember it's a metaphor. But my knowledge of tuberculosis comes from when I worked in clinical research and I worked with patients who had inflammatory bowel disease, and which was an autoimmune disease, Okay. So we were, when I was working in the field at that time, this new class of drug, which is really prevalent right now, had just come out to um, suppress the immune system, which would make the inflammatory bowel disease calm down. And so, uh, but in the process of uh, studying these drugs in patients, it came out that there was a risk of tuberculosis if you were taking that drug huge deal because, you know, in the United States, we kind of like to think that it's been mostly eradicated in the United States and it's very contagious. So it was a big, big deal. So this new, these new plans were implemented for how to go about that because we didn't want to stop pursuing this line of medication for people. So this is what I learned about this process. And this is a very simplified explanation, but this is how I would explain it to patients. If, first of all, an autoimmune disease means that your own immune system is in fight mode. It goes into fight mode in an overactive manner for something that either isn't there or is really not a big deal. So it goes like all the way to stage three in immune response, but it's really like maybe a stage one issue, if that. And it can almost be unidentifiable. Like there's nothing that is identifiable to, to explain why your immune system is going into you know, full-on war. Well, that process of going into that level of defense mode actually, in a prolonged period, damages your body. 
And so that's what that's what inflammatory bowel disease is, is that there's damage to um, to the bowels and your digestive system um, because the immune system is at war. It's kind of like if you were in a life and death situation, you wouldn't care if you scratched your arms or cut your clothes in the process of saving your life. You're like, you don't even pay attention to that, right? Your priorities are different. And so you go into full on, it doesn't matter if you, you know, lose a finger, if you're saving a life, you know? And so that's what your immune system is doing. And so it's full on war and it knows, your body knows that damage is going to be sustained, but it's meant to be a short period of time that you can then recover from. The problem is that doesn't turn off if you have one of these disorders. And so it just goes on and on. And, and then the damage causes symptoms. So what the patients are experiencing are actually symptoms of their own immune system at war in their body. So it's an autoimmune. So your immune system is sort of hurting itself. Okay. Well, so what these medications would do would suppress the immune system because nobody can figure out exactly why it's happening. You know, nobody can figure out how to turn it off completely, but they've, they're discovering more and more and more, but they discovered certain little intricate parts of the immune system and medications where they could downregulate your immune system and push it down. So at least it would stop that from happening. It's not, it's not changing whatever's triggering it, but it will stop the immune system from being on in full on war mode. So the problem is, is that if somebody's immune system is, say, let's say that's running along this level and that's where they're having their symptoms of an autoimmune disease, is that that immune system functioning at this level is actually also protecting against all the stuff underneath that. So everything underneath that is doing its job with. It's suppressing, it's, the immune system is holding back things that we carry in our bodies that could actually be harmful if your immune system didn't function. That's where tuberculosis comes in. It turns out that tuberculosis, traveling through the air, you could have been exposed to tuberculosis. And I think it's like the majority of people exposed to it don't ever, to the bacteria, don't ever actually develop active TB infections. So what's happened, you take these people and you, tr you suppress their immune system to get this thing to stop flaring up and causing problems. Well, when we suppress the immune system, it lowered it below the level of the tuberculosis, where the tuberculosis that they'd been exposed to had been um, lying basically dormant. It, the, it, but it was the immune system was constantly holding it down, keeping it from being active. So it was in their body, but um, not causing a problem. So when that happened, we suppressed the immune system that would cause the tuberculosis to activate. And now you've got active disease, which is life-threatening and a big problem. So what do we do? Do we cancel all the studies and we just say, good luck, never mind, this medication works, but we can't give it to you? No, we developed uh, a plan where we would test everybody ahead of time to see if you had been exposed to tuberculosis. You can do a test and see if you have a reaction, then we'll know you've been exposed to it even though you don't have it then we would know if it was safe to give you this medication. There were a few patients of, of mine that, that did have active TB, that, or didn't have active TB, but they tested positive <clears throat> for having been exposed to it. They, they couldn't do our studies and take the medication at that time because they had to go and get treatment for tuberculosis. 
So before they could take the medication, they had to go and do a whole regimen of treatment to actually eradicate their body of the tuberculosis so that it wouldn't be in their bodies anymore. So that's our natural example. That's a metaphor for what the Holy Spirit's told us having to do with integrity and our conscience and our ability to navigate through life. Okay, so does everybody get the picture? You have one problem, you seek help for it. The thing that helped you with that problem unearthed a deeper underlying problem that's actually more dangerous. And you can't continue to do that without treating that underlying thing that's hidden. Okay, so there's our analogy. And so Tisa has the dream about tuberculosis. I have a dream about autoimmune disease. This can't be a coincidence. And it's, it's the thing, the immune, autoimmune disease is the thing that's going to keep us from working in the gift shop, right? So what is the Holy Spirit saying? Now, she, I don't even remember how we came to this, but she read a verse to me after telling me this incredible um, definition of integrity. I'd never heard that before. Innocence and simplicity were a part of integrity, I would have said, well, if I do a really good job and I have good customer service and I follow through on what I say, then I have integrity. But innocence and simplicity of being a part of integrity was a brand new thing. So I don't remember how we got there, but she started reading in 1 Peter 3. And it is a verse where it talks about um, why would anyone harm you if you're passionate and devoted to pleasing God? But even if you happen to suffer for doing what is right, Listen to this. You will have the joyful experience of the blessing of God. So this is a whole verse that talks about when life comes against you, when people come against you, when there's slander, when there's harm, people are starting to work against you just because you're trying to do serve God, just trying to live for God. So you will have the joyful experience of, of the blessing of God. Don't be intimidated or terrified by those who would terrify you. But give reverent honor in your hearts to the anointed one and treat him as the holy master of your lives. So remember who Jesus is. Be, treat him with reverence. He's the anointed one. You've said he was the master of your life. So in the face of someone trying to harm you, you need to remember this. Don't be intimidated. Don't be terrified. Um, reverent honor towards Jesus and expect a joyful experience of blessing. If anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith with gentleness and respect. Now, this is where this verse always meant something different to me. It also goes on to say, maintain a clean conscience so that those who slander you for living a pure life in Christ will have to lie about you and will be ashamed because of their slander. For it's better to suffer for doing good if it's in God's plan than for doing evil. So now I always thought that meant make sure and do everything right so that somebody would have to come up with a lie to accuse you of to slander you, right? That's kind of the angle I took on it. But when she read that to be about a maintain a clean conscience, I that immediately came to my mind about what she had just told me about integrity. Integrity, and I was like, oh, you can't maintain a clean conscience if you don't have integrity. If you don't have innocence and simplicity, you can't have integrity. That is when everything started to explode in my mind, okay? So I'm going to talk, and this word is going to 
tie together the analogy of what I shared about tuberculosis and an autoimmune disease with a, within a process and a dynamic that happens all the time in this house, in the body of Christ, everywhere. And it happens on different levels. And it happens, definitely happens to the degree of people turning around and leaving and never coming back, walking away from God, deciding not just being offended, bitter, all of that, okay? It happens. To the people that looked the most devoted the day before, it happens. And this insight, if you can follow this with me, tells us why. And so I really consider this to be like a warning and in a sense, it really is going to tell us a lot more than just a warning, but it explains a very, very um, key strategy that the enemy uses to knock you off of your post, to knock you out of doing your destiny, of filling your purpose. So I'm going to just dive in here with what, how I, I wrote this out, trying to tie it together. When I've believed a lie about me and I'm operating with it in me, it's likened to the exposure to tuberculosis that we're walking around with still buried in our lungs. I haven't eradicated the lie. It's down here, but I've been suppressing it, right? We think we have buried it successfully with all of our actions in proving the lie not true. But in truth, the lie is still present in our lungs or operating system, you could say. Just like when our own immune system has held the bacteria at bay, but not eradicated it. So we do things, you know how this works, right? A lot of you have been shown this before. We do things to make sure that that lie never gets to be true. We're, we hear something when we're young and we make sure we do everything right so that lie can never be true. But if integrity equals innocence and simplicity, then we lack integrity in our own eyes when we still have a lie that we feel like we have to disprove with our choices and actions. Our immune system, all those actions have to stay up. It has to stay up on top of that lie continuously, continuously to prove it not true. But we don't actually have integrity when we're doing that in our own eyes. We don't have innocence or simplicity. In other words, we give the lie enough credit to remain in us, thinking it could be true, but we're trying to prove to ourselves and others that it isn't true. But it might be true. That's the only reason it still has a place. That's the only reason you still have to do things to prove it to not be true. We are not innocent in our own eyes in this case. And our own view of what is true about ourselves is far from simple. It's complex, it's convoluted, it's contradictory, and it's just not yet a settled issue, right? If you have an active lie that you feel, if, you're in, if someone's innocent, you don't have to defend yourself. If you're innocent, you're like, well, that, um, this, the word actually referenced the scripture when Jesus says, you know, that Satan is coming, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Meaning there's no, there were no strings the enemy could pull to manipulate him, to, con, to condemn him. So this is that if we have something in us that is a string that the enemy can pull, if it is an, a lie, we haven't finally resolved to say it is that is not true about me. I am innocent of that thing. If we're still trying to prove that it's not true, if we feel still like we have to, I have to do that thing 
then that means it still could be possibly true in our eyes. And therefore, we're not innocent because we might be guilty. We might be guilty of that thing we've been accused of. So in this condition, that means we are incapable of maintaining a clear conscience, right? We don't have integrity. We don't have, because we're not innocent in our own eyes. And the simplicity in my mind here points to, I think I say it in a few minutes, but simplicity points to having your identity be explained simply from God. It's not a combination of a bunch of different people's opinions, but it's just what God says about you. That's simplicity. So I'm innocent and I, and I am who I say, who God says I am. That's it. Then I have integrity. I'm whole. Think about it. Like she used the example of a chair. A chair has integrity when the chair design is complete. Someone designed the chair. You can't take a, you know, a toothbrush and say, this is a solid chair because it was not made to be a chair. So the designer is the only one who can say if that chair has integrity. Yeah. So in this condition, we're incapable un- of having a clean conscience. Our, clean, our conscience is not clean because we do not really know what is true about ourselves. Therefore, we, when we are slandered in this condition, we are incapable of doing what this verse requires of us. So I want to say that slander is just one of the ways this can happen, you know, direct slander of some another person speaking badly of you. But honestly, the enemy tries to slander you all the time in lots of different ways, tries to slander who you're partnered up with, who your what your purpose is, whether you're any good at it. Slander happens in a lot of different ways. So just don't get stuck on the literal meaning of that. But when someone slanders you, it will tell you right away where you're at on this real quickly. Very, very quickly, you will see where you're at. And it doesn't take much. It can only be one person and they can say something one time if you don't get a handle on it. And it, this entire thing will unravel that we're about to share. When we are slandered in this condition, we can't do what this verse requires us, of us. Even if we are doing right when we are slandered, we are unable to receive the blessings of God, what he said in that verse. And instead, we are intimidated and terrified, which he said, don't be intimidated and don't be terrified, but we are. And as a result, our ability to give honor to God, treating him as holy and is interrupted. In our terrified state, we are triggered to go into self-protection instead of following Jesus as the master of our lives. So I, I looked at that verse line by line, everything it said, and you can't do any of it. You can't do any of it if you don't have this integrity. You'll miss the blessing of God. You certainly won't be joyful. You won't remember that he is the master of your lives. You won't treat him with honor and reverence. And you're not going to be gentle and you won't even be able to explain your your faith. In our terrified state, we are triggered to go into self-protection instead of following Jesus as the master of our lives. In that moment, we remove ourselves from our submitted position with him in order to defend against the lie that is threatening to resurface and come out of its dormant state. So on this study, for example, on these studies, if somebody developed TB while after they'd already been, they were on a regimen of this medication, you had to stop. You didn't get any more medication because you have to stop and go take care of the TB first. 
We can't continue to suppress your immune system because it's saving your life even though it's making you have painful symptoms. So in this moment, we do the same thing because we're triggered and we're like, oh my gosh, no, this is life-threatening. I can't, I can't continue following this thing with this Jesus because I've got to use the defense systems I know to fight against that lie that is now threatening to be true because somebody slandered me in that moment. So we remove ourselves from our submitted position with him, just like the patients had to stop taking the drug. This situation is represented by the analogy of tuberculosis being reactivated when treating an autoimmune disorder. The slander is a present-day problem, a pain and a harm to our emotions, etc., that needs a response. When we don't have a clear conscience, when slandered, we begin to battle with ourselves and others. Our self-defenses kick in, and we begin to battle internally about what has been said about us. The internal battle is likened to an autoimmune response when our body's immune system turns on itself. Everybody in here should know by now, if it's been pointed out to you at least once, if you are battling internally, it is hell, right? It's turmoil, it's torment, it's painful, and it's unnecessary. Our, we were never meant to battle in, inwardly. We were meant to battle against evil, not against whether our identity and our innocence, because Jesus already paid the price for it. In autoimmune disorders, the immune system is activated to respond to a perceived threat, but since the threat is not actually present, the weapons of defense fire on our own body. This then creates painful and troubling symptoms that call for treatment. So that's what happens, right? We, we get slandered, we have a fear come in, it triggers that buried thing that's in us somewhere, and we, um, or just you know, any of the number of things that can trigger us in life, and then we try to deal with it in our own self-defenses until finally we're in such a war that we finally cry out for help and we ask, hopefully the Holy Spirit, but also wise counsel and the community of people around you. We seek wisdom at that point. So it's at that point, just like the patients, when their symptoms of their autoimmune disease got bad enough, they went to the doctor, okay? When that happens, it's at that point we often seek help, whether from doctors, counselors, or other forms of self-medication. In the natural, doctors will often recommend a treatment for the autoimmune disorder that works by suppressing your immune system. Spiritually or emotionally, this is likened to receiving advice or wisdom that says something like, do not fear. Don't operate with that spirit of fear. How many of you have heard that? Right? Is it true? It's true. How did you do with it first time you heard it? Honestly, I was star I started hearing that long before I was capable to actually actually carry that out. I learned that it was wisdom. I learned that it was true about what God meant, but I didn't have the capability at that point. That didn't do that that wasn't enough to just be told. But it was wisdom. And so what would happen for me is when I would hear something like that, I, I, that was the counsel given to me for my present symptoms, my current war I'm in, internal battle. So I would walk away and I'd be like, yeah, okay, great. I'm just not going to partner with that anymore. I'm going to use my will to not partner with that, that 
thing anymore because that's what I was told I could do. And that is the medicine for what ails me, right? But in this case, fear is what has operated as our immune system. Fear was my defense system. It was my teacher. It was my counselor. It was my defense system. Now, in fact, God's actual intention for fear, healthy fear, um, that is not hijacked by a demonic spirit of fear. I wish those were two different words in a way. Is supposed to warn us of harm. It's meant to function as a type of defense system to keep us safe. That's what fear is supposed to do. In this case, however, fear has been hijacked and is being used to defend against a perceived threat that's not actually true, right? So it is an autoimmune thing. So in both cases, our defenses or our immune system is suppressed in an attempt to stop the painful symptoms of battling within ourselves. This may work for a period of time, and we may find relief in stopping the battle within ourselves. You following me? So it feels good, right, when you've been when you think you're supposed to be warring with fear, with whatever that fear thought is, and you call somebody up and they say, Well, you know, you shouldn't partner with fear. Oh, that's a relief. I can let that go. I can just say, Well, that was a dumb way to do that, and I'll just carry on and 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 move on. <laughs> However, that's like the immunosuppressant. It just suppressed my immune system with that wisdom. It suppressed the the way I learned to operate and defend myself. However, there is a seed that was long ago planted, still present in our operating system. In the natural, this is like the few cells of tuberculosis bacteria lying dormant in our lungs. Our defense systems, our immune system, was all that was keeping it covered up and dormant. My fear that that lie was true was the only thing that was keeping me from continually choosing things to make it stay untrue. It was there. So when I say I'm not going to partner with fear anymore, I stop protecting myself from that lie. It's our ongoing self-defense that kept the lie from becoming activated again. If I did enough to prove it was untrue, I could last for another couple weeks possibly until without having to do anything else to prove it from not being true. So now, while we may have received relief from the symptoms that came from battling with our present-day issue, in this case slander, an older problem is allowed to flare up when our defenses are suppressed. Suddenly, we're having trouble breathing, and an infection is spreading throughout our body. Fear is again knocking at the door, and this time with an even greater level of vengeance and momentum. That lie we've spent our lives disproving is rearing its head again and threatening to be proven true. In the face of this threat, we quickly throw out the treatment we receive for our inner battle. Now, let me stop here and say, just remind, remember that verse when it talks about if you kick a strong man out, I think it's a strong man, out of the house, but if you don't replace, put something new in the house and it comes back seven times, seven with all of its friends, if you've lived with a lie your whole life and you've managed it this way, every time it, get comes, it comes back and is allowed to resurface, it's stronger than it was before. It's scarier and it's more threatening because we didn't actually eradicate it and we didn't actually replace it with truth. So in that moment, that's all of a sudden we're in a life 
and death situation internally, right? And so in the face of this threat, we quickly throw out the treatment we received for our inner, inner battle, feeling fully justified in reclaiming our old weapons of self-defense. We can no longer afford to resist operating with fear. Even though it sounds like wisdom and it felt good in that moment, I'm going to pick that thing back up and operate just like I had before because it worked last time to suppress that lie. We can no longer afford to take the medicine that quiets our present day inner battle. We can no longer afford to stay silent against the slander we've encountered. Partnering with fear, anxiety, panic, anger, and sometimes even violence seems perfectly justified and called for. We can't afford to try this new wisdom of doing things God's way. Our very lives feel as though they are at stake and there is no room for taking a risk of doing things a new way. Now, I don't know if that sounds harsh to you or if you can relate to it or not, but I guarantee everybody's had at least a few moments of, of feeling that. And there are people that we know and love who have run with this. Just run with it. Because in that moment, it's just too big of a threat. And the wisdom that we got that is true godly wisdom, and it is wisdom to partner with, with, with that, doesn't work if you still have an embedded lie about yourself. It will be a problem. And so you'll have a tuberculosis flare up all of a sudden when you were just trying to take care of that thing that happened last week. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, this is too risky. All of this great, good stuff I've been trying and hearing, and it sounds so enticing, and I feel hope, and I feel love, and I feel like there's possibility, and I might be able to expect a little more out of life. All of a sudden, that's too risky. You've got to do partner again with the very thing you left behind just a few days ago. Just like that, we throw all that God has done in us and poured out over us, released to us, to the curb. We discard it like it was some fad we were entertaining and move quickly to getting ourselves back on track with real life. We cancel appointments for counsel. We push past those trying to remind us of what God has said and promised to us. We break relationships with those, God, the, those who God brought to us for our own good. We blow up in the face of all he's built around us to bring us into life into the life of living in his promises. All because of that lie, deeply buried in our lungs, in the way we breathe, in our operating system, the lie we subconsciously made a pact to devote our lives to defending. It has truly become our master, and our choices have repeatedly offered it our worship time and time again. When the dust settles, and we've tucked the lie quietly back in its prison within us, we look around to find that we're right back to where we started from. We've gained no ground for ourselves and or for the kingdom of God we thought ourselves so devoted to. Now, this is important because I love that, you know, Tisa just preached about um, devotion. And I'm telling you, this happens to people that you would think there was no way they could go back. This happens to people that have been all in, fully devoted. For years and years, this happens. This process happens. Not long, ago, not long ago, we had taken up our cross and been determined to run the race with perseverance. Just a short while back, we had thrown ourselves down at the altar, determined to live for God, for him to be our way, our truth, our life. But when slander came, 
Our conscience was far from clean because our integrity was not intact in our own eyes. It all goes back to that. And our identity was not yet made simple by the words of our father reigning above the lie that had long ago been spoken over us. Our defenses were in disorder. It's an autoimmune disorder. It's a disorder of your immune system. Our defenses were in disorder when it came time to rest in who God says we are and what his promises to us are. In, this, in the face of slander, we could not explain our faith, as it says in this verse, to ourselves, let alone, let alone others. We couldn't even explain ourselves to ourselves. We, we could not be gentle or operate with respect with ourselves or others. And those who slandered us were not the ones left with shame in doing so because shame had a place at the table within us and it demanded our attention. Slander from people in our lives is only one of the ways this dynamic can play out. The enemy will attempt to slander our call of God in every way possible. He is not concerned with winning the argument of whether or not the lie embedded within us is true. He is fully satisfied by keeping us engaged in the battle with him. For in doing so, we will spend our lives battling a war that we were never called to. We will spend every ounce of our strength and even call it operating in Christian faith, insisting on victory in an irrelevant battle. We're just like, I'm going to do it. I know we'll just say all the words and all the declarations over ourselves just because, man, we're going to, we're going to prove that on our deathbed, that lie never came true about us. And we've spent our entire lives battling to make sure that those things that weren't true about us weren't ever proven true. When Jesus already paid the price for that and already settled the issue so long ago. In truth, the battle for our identity was already won. In a single day, or maybe three, Jesus reclaimed our identity and forever anchored us to truth. He gave us legal access to our birthright, our true birthright as sons and daughters of God, our only creator, our only designer, the only one capable of saying whether or not we have integrity or not the only one able to say if we're innocent, the only one that is able to give us a true and simple um, identity. He's the only one that can speak to us, speak to that. God himself has provided us with an armed escort to this truth and the freedom that comes with it. We may all be at different stages in receiving what he has provided, but none of us are lacking its availability. He has lavishly and abundantly supplied complete healing for each and every deceptive seed planted within us. It's up to us to choose to receive his healing in these places and to recognize that it is of the highest priority in our walk with Jesus. Now, this is the part, like, even if you, you're like, yeah, I got that. I'm good. I'm good all the way. This is the part where a lot of us are still off. We think, yes, that's true, but we'll do that on our, in our spare time. I'll be healed of that embedded lie about me when I have time, when all this other stuff's taken care of, when I've checked all these other boxes. We don't understand that it's the highest priority. It's the highest priority. 
no measure of action, of serving, of even devotion, or of commitment of our will to worship him will uproot the seed of deceit the enemy hopes to bind you with. He knows the power that it has to unravel even years of walking with God with simply pulling the string that humanity so easily offers. Humanity's quick to talk bad about other, each other. It's just too easy. It's too easy. Scripture tells us to expect it and clearly tells us how to navigate it. Scripture tells us to expect slander, to expect problems, to expect people to come against our call, to expect people to come against our healing, to come against our freedom, to come against every bit of it. It's clearly stated that it's going to happen. And so God provided a way to navigate that. Otherwise, he just set us on a wild goose chase, right? We know that's not true. Slander will come one way or another. It is only a threat, however, when we miss the heart of God to heal us in the core of our identity. It is God's priority to heal. To heal in this place is this first and foremost for him. For he knows that no weapon formed against us can harm us when we are innocent in our own eyes and living out of the simplicity of our identity seen in his eyes. Integrity. The, in the chair is not going to fail if it has integrity because it has all its parts and it's soundly put together. It all goes back to that sense of integrity, having being innocent in our own eyes and having a simple identity defined by him. Only then can we have a clear conscience. Only then will we not consider the threat, it a threat when the enemy tries to form weapons against us. That's, that's how those verses come true. I mean, don't you know when you, you read those verses, no weapon formed against me can harm me. Well, that sure hurt. That's, that's what happens to me. That hurt. That felt like harm, God. That felt like harm. That was a weapon. I felt it, and it felt like harm. So how is that? How is his word true? That's not the position to take. That's not when we're supposed to say, well, God's not really telling the truth. That's a nice fairy tale. That's not what we do. We figure out how it comes true. I've been asking him for years. Well, how is that true? How can that really be true? This is another, another major key to how it can be true. Because when we are innocent in our own eyes and we see ourselves the way he sees us, then we have integrity and we have, we know that we are innocent simple we have integrity and we can have a clear conscience no matter what the enemy throws at us because it's the self-destruction do you get it the enemy is counting on you to self-destruct self-destruction is his plan he has no authority he has no power on this earth over you if you're a believer okay if you've accepted jesus as your lord and savior he has no power he wants you to self-destruct it's his only hope and he spends his entire being Making, trying to make that happen. So we need to elevate the priority of that in God's eye and in our own eyes, just like it is in God's eyes. Then and only then will we walk with true integrity needed to have a clean conscience in the presence of our enemies. With this clean conscience, slander may come, but it will have nothing within us to work with. Remember Jesus? He said, he has the, the devourer, the enemy's coming, but he has nothing in me. He can't touch me. So he can come all he wants, but there's nothing in me that he can do anything with. We want to be that way. 
We may have pain and our emotions may be crushed, but when we seek a remedy for them, we will be free to receive his comfort, his wisdom and guidance. We will trust in his response to our pain and realize once again that he already won the battle that puts an end to our own. So even we can't even fully receive what he wants to give us the comfort and the healing if we are sidetracked by those embedded lies. Now around here, you know, it's been pretty clear that one life prioritizes identity and being healed in your identity. And almost every single one of us, I would venture to say probably every single one, except for the the kiddos that were born into this family um, and are still like under 10 years old, whatever. But um, you know, we want to start doing really fast. We want to start serving. We want to start doing our purpose. Like, let me do it. I want to do it. Let me go out and pray. Let me go prophesy. I need to be doing all this stuff because isn't that the whole point? Well, you can do that for years. And then all it takes is somebody slandering you while doing it and everything will unravel. And so that's why it's in been in Tisa's heart and Pam's heart and Lenny's heart to be so insistent that we focus on our identity and our relationship with God so he can speak to us. It's because it's not, there's no point in doing all the other stuff if you don't have this, because God wants you to spend your faith and your energy and your life on the actual battle that matters, not on this internal self-destructive thing. We weren't meant to live this life of just surviving self-destruction. And that's what it is. We're just trying to survive self-destruction if we allow those lies to remain. So you know what? We just need to reprioritize. We need to reprioritize what's happening. If you have a problem in a relationship and it's come to a head and you're fighting with somebody and you seek help for that relationship, that's good. But I think we need to up our game on thinking about what is it in me that's making that even a problem? What is the the thing in me that still is something that the enemy can poke at? What is the lie that still makes me want to get defensive and turn on, turn back to the things I'm trying to let go of? It's of utmost importance to him. And clearly he's giving us all of this insight and revelation and stressing it to us because we are ready to be a house with the gifts on display, to operate in transparency where the gifts of the spirit are on display and easily viewable from the road of life that people are living. We're not going to be successful of doing that if we don't take care of this business first. So we've got to understand it is God's highest priority. Yeah. I'll pray real quick before I hand it over to Tisa. So Papa, I just say thank you tonight. I love when you make your heart clear to us. You are such a giving and loving father and we just squirm around like little children who we just want to play and we but you've got something you know that we need tending to so papa help us focus on what you know is the most important we are just little kids we're just little boys and girls we need your fathering we know nothing we cannot take care of ourselves we don't do a good job of taking care of ourselves we need your fathering Papa, we need this. We need to be healed at the core of our identity. We are tired of running the race with perseverance only to get tripped up again by the same thing over and over and over again because we just have that thing that if we let go of our defenses in one area, it pops right back up and triggers us into a bunch of actions. So Papa, we need you. We need this. 
We hear you today. I just say we hear you. I just speak even prophetically over everyone who's heard this message. We hear you. I stand in the gap for those that don't get it yet. And I say, we hear you. We need it. We don't even have to understand it completely to say we need it. We just hear you. We feel you. We sense you. We receive you. We honor you. We honor you, Jesus. You're the anointed one. You're the one that we hold as reverent in our lives. You're the one that is the master of our lives. So whether we get it or not, we receive it and we ask for it. And we ask for you to reveal it in our personal lives in a personal way, not just as theology, but something practical that goes deep within us as that scalpel and changes us forever because something can be eradicated from our bodies and we never have to face it again. And it's no longer a place of vulnerability for the enemy. So Holy Spirit, I just thank you. Jesus, I thank you. And Papa, I thank you. I thank you for what's going to happen in our lives. that maybe already happened this morning or is going to happen as soon as you leave here or tomorrow or the next day that's going to reveal a lie. We just say thank you in advance for what's coming. Thank you in advance for revealing that little tuberculosis cell because we want to be able to breathe freely. We want to breathe naturally and relax deep, deep breaths of your spirit and all that you're pouring out in this season and this time in history. We want to breathe freely with childlike faith. We want to see with resurrection eyes. We want those triggering seeds to be eradicated from our lives. We don't want to just keep medicating the things that are going to be to fall away every time this other thing gets triggered. So we hear you, Papa. We hear you, we hear you, we hear you, we honor you. Holy Spirit, make it personal, make it personal for everybody hearing this message. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Super powerful. I just wanted to add that... Um, I'm, I'm a very practical person and, um, this is not, um, something that you cannot put, um, an emphasis on and be able to advance in your life. Cause once that truth is revealed and God is giving us an invitation. So I wanted to just demonstrate to you, you know, what I would do in this, when God gives us a prophetic word is how we respond to the prophetic. The way we respond is very, very important because, you know, I can sit up here and tell you how many hours it took her to type that out. And I can tell you all the battles that the enemy has tried to come against us in the last couple of days. Really all of that's irrelevant because the word went out, but now, now the word is in your lap and how you respond to the word is really on you. You know, I could have easily not gotten up here and talked about this today, very easily. And so what we have to do is we have to learn to respond to the Holy Spirit. And what you have to do is you have to ask him, what is the lie in me? Yeah. You know, everything comes back to us asking him. I could go around and tell all of y'all right now in this room, the Holy Spirit would reveal to me the lie that you're believing. But when you will ask him, you will begin to hear his voice like I hear his voice, and you'll begin to build on that. And if you don't do that, if you just say, well, that's a good word, it was really cool, made me feel good, and you go on and you leave it and you don't pursue it, then your response to it is what she's saying. It leaves room for the enemy to come in and bring destruction. And I think it's really important to realize this is a simple process. Yes. 
You know, I will tell you at the end of the day, it all comes down to whether you know you're a son or daughter. It, and you weren't fathered well. You weren't mothered well. I don't care if you had the best one on the planet. It wasn't enough for what you're going to need as a human. It's only through the divinity can we be fathered and mothered well. And so, you know, what happens to us, it happened yesterday. Somebody in here had something happen. They've been waiting for 12 years to happen. But as soon as it happened, there was a trigger of an old thing that she's describing. And that has reoccurred in their life. It came right back up, the same thing that they tried to run away from before. And I'm just telling you, if you don't deal with that, that's that, that's that strong man. He just keeps coming back. Your innocence... Your purity, your integrity is free. If you can't see that, you can't operate in it, you can't walk in it, you can't speak about me, what he was talking about, that your words or this rhema that's coming out of your mouth that you say about yourself, then that's something that you're going to have to eradicate to walk in freedom. And I'm just telling you, when he releases a prophetic word, it's an easy moment. It's an easy moment. I have so many people around here that can help you, but it's an easy moment. If you wait another month or six months or two years, you know, it's going to be harder because right now there's grace being afforded to you. So I would just as a practical measure, I would just ask before you leave here today, I would ask the Holy Spirit to show you the lie and I would begin to pursue eradicating its origin. That's really what a sozo is. A sozo is the eradication of a lie that came in through the words or actions of someone that you thought loved you or something they should have done something different for you. And then you base your life then, like she said, on trying to make sure that that lie didn't come true when it was a distortion of who? The slanderer the whole time. God works through people and so does the enemy. So every place that you've had slander or hurt that was the enemy all the restoration is from the god side okay do you receive it today yes. let's just tell him today that we receive it papa we just receive it today we will do our best to implement what you're saying to us today i honor cc today for just how her brain works and how she's able to lay that all out for us and i just pray the grace for us to receive it in a new way Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.